Well, welcome everybody to this being recorded on a Sunday morning edition of the FBC podcast. In the wake of a final score at Ashton Gate yesterday, it finished City 2, Sunderland 3. The first time in seven years that City have lost the opening two league games of a campaign. And that was the season when we were back in the championship. Uh, I can remember... Uh, we lost at home to Brentford on the opening day, 3-2. I can't remember what the next game was. Somebody else, I'm sure, can Sheffield, pick me up on that. But, uh, Wednesday away. Thank you. Game, there we, we go. Oh, well, there you go. You see, factually incorrect as usual. Luke was sent off. I was, <laughs> <laughs> he was, yes. I remember that. We were 2-0 up as well. That was a familiar story. But, uh, yeah, no, people who listened to Radio Bristol last yesterday afternoon might have heard me spout my usual drivel alongside the equally drivelsome uh, Tony Wilkins. But, uh, that was a pleasure to be up there with Jeff and uh, our regular contributor, Gary Ayers. Lovely chap. OK, joining me today are Mark, Ian and Neil, my usual cohorts on here. Good morning, everybody, lads. And to coin another podcast uh, um, thing, how are we feeling today? I'll start with you first, uh, Neil. How are you feeling today? Oh, a bit despondent, I have to say. Last week. Um... Last week, the hell was, oh, that was unfortunate. But dodgy penalty decision and a deflected goal after 93 minutes. And, um, okay, you know, these things happen. Yesterday, some good stuff in the first half again, but second half left everybody with a difficult feeling, didn't they? Hollow, difficult, hollow, feeling, hollow feeling. Difficult feeling leaving that ground because for half an hour in that second half, we, um, we were poor. Not okay. too late about it. Yeah. yeah. Ian, you're, uh, how are you feeling this morning? Um, I would say I was very disappointed yesterday after, in what most people, if you were uh, a fan that just wanted to watch a game of football yesterday and you went to that game, you'd have felt thoroughly entertained. Um, and I was amazed to see at the end of the game that we had 59% possession. Um, because in the second half, I'd love to see the stats broke down into half time and um, you know first half and second half. Uh, the second half, what worried me the most wasn't the result, and it wasn't the fact that we've lost two games and we've conceded five goals. Hmm. What worried me is how we faded in the second half of game. The game was identical to Hull in the sense that we played well in the first period, probably for the first. 30, 35 minutes. Then the other, but we never look comfortable at the back. We look timid and reticent. Our midfield's poor. I don't. I. I, I honestly don't think if if you're going to call Scotty a ten, I, I, I don't think we've got a decent central midfield player at the club. Um, yep. Well, that's weak, a big statement. Let's talk. Let's talk about. Well, we were, it. We were weak in midfield. Let me finish. Yep. We were weak in midfield. We were we were weak and we faded badly. Now that to me points to stamina and fitness, which is really worrying this early in the season. Yeah. Okay. Mark, how are you how are you feeling? Um, well, not not in meltdown. I had far too much to drink last night, unfortunately, because I've got a pass because the wife's out, out out in London. She won't be listening, so that's good. She's still away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lucky West, boy. Went and watched Westlife last night. I mean, the Tubby family, we, we've got a real kick-ass lifestyle. So please, you know, people stay away from me, you know. Well, 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 well tough down here in, in the Burbs. City, I mean, what a, what a roller coaster. Fantastic day. 
I mean, just in a nutshell, when we're put under pressure, Hello. yesterday Hello. Ex exposed just how frail we are. Mm. We were good with the ball at our feet for, for a limited period of time again, just like the whole game. But when we're put under pressure by a team, we just look so weak and mm. from the most unexpected places. Uh, you know, we'll go on to the, the, the Cal Naismith. Well, uh, well shot, we get into the shocker. detail. We get into the detail, Mark. Yeah. The fact that the inability to, to play to play as a, as a strong, fluid unit <clears throat> and, ha and, have a, and have a gear to move into. We have one gear in the second half. We couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't make changes. We're unable to make changes when uh, from the bench, or unable to make changes on the pitch, and we just look very frail. And that doesn't augur well. It means there's got to be some transfer activity, but can there be with FFP? Are, are Nigel's hands tied? And if so, that's very well. Well, that's again. We talk about that when we've sort of analysed the game. I mean, for what it's worth, what my feelings were were excitement going into the game i mean the fact of the matter was 13 and a half thousand season tickets sold yep uh two and a half thousand sunderland fans so that meant eight thousand people seven and a half thousand whatever a decent number of people turned up to watch city yes there were some incentives to come along and go and as ian just said you've seen a great game of football but how many of those I'll call it walk-ups on the day because people don't pay on a day these days. But how many of those who went today will turn up against Luton a week on Tuesday, which could easily be in the wake of a cup defeat if the game at Coventry is on with their pitch problems. They should give us a bye if they can't fulfil the fixture. And then uh, away at Wigan, who got a credible draw at Norwich City yesterday. Although that said, I don't think Norwich City uh, and, and uh, their manager will be uh, together by the end of the season if they're disappointing start continues but so many times for City for me you know how do I feel you almost expected to be let down yeah and you know I got berated uh, mildly by Jeff on Radio Bristol when I said look it's been rubbish down here for the last four and a half years um, we all know how far that goes back for the last four and a half years and Jeff picked me up and said oh well there's some good football played in the first uh, the first half definitely and I agree with that. There was some good football played, like there was some good football played at Hull, but we have failed. And as Ian said, fitness, what the hell is going on? And I'll stick with you, Mark, on this. Uh, you know, the, the afternoon got off to the worst possible start when Matty James got himself injured in the warm-up. But that and the lineup, no no surprises there for you, really, Mark, was there? Were there? No, I'm, I'm the only the only player that, that um, you know was capable of coming in was Masengo, but it took it took um, you know a, a, it, it took away the creative element because <coughs> James can pass the ball. Uh, you know he's, he's a sort of court, more of a quarterback style uh, <coughs> central midfielder than the Masengo or Williams could be, who are a purely purely defensive midfielders. I say that nobody seems to know what Masengo is. But Masengo doesn't know what he is. The manager doesn't know what he is, and neither do the, the uh, supporters. Well, Williams, well, we haven't got a defensive midfielder at the club, Mark, because I don't think Williams is a defensive midfield player. He's well, a box to box player who yeah. don't score goals and don't get assists. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, just but but on on paper, that's what he is. But we just, we I mean, we just don't know. So the, yeah, and that was a that was a like a like for like. Yeah, that was a, a big... A well, big it was the same team. Start. It would have been the same team that started yeah, against Hull. Um, 
a couple of people have said on here, and Kays and uh, somebody else have said, personally not sure James would have made much difference yesterday. I, and, and James, far too slow of mind and body to be of any use. Two points there from those uh, comments. I don't think James would have made that much difference. I think he'd have come off uh, within or after an hour. Uh, a friend of mine who came, he said to me, he looks a bit chunky and he came off. He looked to be carrying a little bit of timber. Uh, so we'd have had to have made a sub with him. And, um, you know, that's that that's my view on the on, on the James situation. But, uh, Neil, I'll come to you and then I'll come to Ian. The lineup, as predicted, really, wasn't it? Yes. You know, based on uh, a decent first half showing and a we was robbed excuse for losing at Hull last week, which is fair. Yep. Neil. It was. I think um, I think personally myself before the game. In the Dolman, we looked at it and then I became aware that they signed Ellis Sims from on loan from Everton and I thought he was exceptional when he was at Blackpool on their, on their promotion season. And, uh, and then he went up to Hearts for a season, didn't he? And he's had some injuries up there. But when you're playing two up top against the three at the back, I thought, hmm, in that situation, I think Closer would have been a better player than Viner in that situation because when there's two, those two are always going to put a back three under pressure. So why, why is what's that? It, what's, what's, because what's, they're, what's they're, the they're, they're numerically, numerically three against two, it should be okay, shouldn't it? Well, I think with the three, with the three, you're thinking that one of those three can actually move forward and progress forward either down the middle, which is kind of what Naismith was trying to do in the first. 10, 15 minutes, getting the ball, and he's thinking, right, okay, the two are spread, I can go down the centre. And even though it happened in four minutes, he, he was nearly caught a couple of times before then. Because Stuart, Stuart Stuart's on his left, and uh, he was bringing the ball out with his left foot. And there was a couple of times, even before the first four minutes, where it was quite obvious that they knew exactly what we were planning to do. Um, so... Yes, the team picks itself and um, realistically, we've got a 20 in the team that kind of, we can't look beyond at the moment, can we? We've got sort of 20 players that kind of pick itself and hence why on the bench, there's not much differential, is there? No. Ian, uh, the team picks itself and I'll stick with you for the first goal. I mean, Naismith was heralded as sort of like, what a coup, what a signing. And he was part (coughs) of Luton's team. Last season, we also signed. I know he came on as a late sub, Kane Wilson, who was League Two Player of the Year. Uh, I'll give comments on him later on. But uh, you know, yeah, the side picked itself. Do you agree with that view, Ian? Well, I, I would have picked a slightly different team, but I don't think. It would, tell, it would, well, say uh, what you would have. Say uh, what you would have started with. Well, I would have. St- I would have started Wilson at, at right wing back, although he was he was poor when he came on. I have he to was. say. He looked at League Two, I'd, decent I'd, player, League Two, yeah. I'd have pushed my, um, Mark Sykes into a more attacking role. Um, but that being said, I don't think that would have made a blind bit of difference. Um, but what, what we were talking about, the, the, uh, the, the shape of the side, can he, can he do it? I'm getting feedback. Can, can he do a lot more um, with what he's got? Um, as a coach, no, I don't think he can. Whether another coach could get more out of what he's got um, is very, very debatable. But I think um, we'll we'll soon find out if we if we go on like we are. 
Mm. Um, Ian, the first goal, uh, Neil alluded to the fact that he almost got caught twice. So it was a case of third time lucky for Sunderland. I mean, not the sort of start, start that he'd that want, he'd want. Um, for his home debut at Ashton Gate. Oh, he had a, he had a, I'm getting feedback, Dave. I don't know what's the matter. With, and are you, you were getting some too. Yeah, go on, carry um, on. I'll, I'll turn my mic down a bit, I think. Yeah, the, the, the issue with Naismith, he was in fault with goals one and three. He got dispossessed by, I think it was Stewart, got the ball in, into um, Sims. Sims put it in the net, a nice finish, but appalling defending. And that's why I say we look timid and tentative trying to play out from the back. Nobody wanted to take responsibility. And, and people, if the same thing had happened to Zach Viner and he was at fault, for the second. partially it fought for the second goal, mm. uh, he'd have been berated. But uh, Zach Viner was no worse than Carl yesterday. Okay, Mark, um, your thoughts on uh, City's equalising goal? I mean, they got right back into the game, and it was a you got to give fair credit where it's due. It was a good effort by uh, Viner, well, a good finish by Viner, but an excellent build up and a good, and a good uh, response, response after going one 0 down. Yeah, you'll be getting, getting a little bit of feedback again there, there David. Mm. Yeah, great play down the right, and and there were there were there were lots of good moves down the right with Mark Sykes, who was who was looking looking terrific with his, with his pace, and the ball was played inside to uh, to Viner, and Viner just had so much time. He basically trod on the ball between the two central defenders, then stood up, and then hit it across the keeper. Uh, so you know it was a, a great finish, but he, he had he had minutes to put it. In. I think he would have been disappointed if he hadn't scored. But yeah, nice finish, and uh, it won on one all. You know, well set to go and, and take and take the lead, and and then we we really uh, you know really looked strong for the for the, for um, the remainder of the half. Yeah, Neil, um, City got the perfect start to the second half, didn't they? They did. I'm. I'll still have to watch it back to see that if Martin's going to claim the goal, then then it's given to him. Sort of stumbled into the goal, but actually it was it was one of those occasions where it was a it was a cracking ball by Williams over the top, and Vyman did exceptionally well to get the ball in. But all of yesterday, our wing backs, and I I, I know what uh, Mark was just saying about Sykes, but we're playing with these wing backs. We're getting no productivity from the wing backs, really, are we? I mean, in that no, system, no. last last year at the end of the season, we spoke about De Silva having four assists and the other wing backs perhaps having two or three assists. We're playing this system because we say this is the best system. But actually, when we get the ball in wide areas, the crosses into the box are not great. And then you've got Martin, who's okay, decent enough with his back to goal, and I understand why we play him, but. He's five foot nine and he's never going to be getting on the end of those crosses, particularly when you're playing against three large centre backs. So we're kind of playing a wing back system that doesn't really uh, make sense when you look at the actual forwards that uh, that we've got. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, um, Ian, the, 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 the equalising goal, it came uh, from Sims. Uh, we said... Um, uh, was it Viner might have been at fault there? It went through Bentley's legs. A brief word on Bentley. He kept us in the game at half time with an instinctive save. And he, even better one, uh, I think it was, just uh, a few moments later, again from Sims. But, uh, you know, we, we don't seem to be able to hang on to a lead when we have it, do we, Ian? 
No, and, and I'll pick, pick up on Neil's point. Um, I don't know, Dave, can you switch your mic off? Feedback on everything. Okay, let's see what we can do. There we go. Um, yeah, we, we've got the um, the problem that we've got, uh, the, the wing-backs feedback again. The, the problem we got with the wing-backs is De Silva can't cross the ball. He's a terrible crosser, um, which is why I would have played campering. Um, the Sykes didn't cross the ball well yesterday. I thought he crossed the ball well at Hull until they kicked him out of the game. Uh, it's one of the things that we bought Wilson for, the, the, this amount of assists he gets and all the rest of it. Um, but no, I, I don't think the system's working. And um, But unfortunately, I don't think uh, that, that Pearson believes um, that he's got the, um, what's the right word, uh, that he's got, got the, the tools in the bag to, to change it, and, and which is why our our record under him is so abysmal. And that's, I think, why we started poorly. And it's not, like I said, it's not just, not just the results. It's it's the two identical performances. There was only one side going to win that in the second half yesterday. It wasn't us. No, that's 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 fair comment. I mean, Taze has picked up here in the fact that uh, Pring isn't uh, fit. He's a couple of weeks away. Um, but, you know, I agree with you. I, I think De Silva, Tony Wilkins thought he was the best player on the field for City yesterday. Really? Can't uh, possible. No, look he can't. His, if you look at his career record, goals and assists, that tells you he ain't a wing-back. He's a nice, neat little footballer. And I think for what it's worth, he's actually a better Defender than Cameron Pring in terms of positionally, and um, and and get winning the ball sometimes, which is strange because Pring's thick end of the foot taller. Um, but I I just don't think that um, if you're playing with high wingbacks, you need two things. You need two two things. Number one is you need someone who can give them the ball in the right areas. We haven't got that player. And they need to be able to cross the ball when they get in the positions. And if the, the, if the two things don't happen, the wing-back system just fails. You, you just finish up with a flat-back five. And that's how, and that's what it looked a bit like yesterday. Taze has just said every time JDS plays left back, he gets picked off for the diagonals from the opposition. I just think don't think he's got the physicality to be that defender. So I don't think he offers. I think he's a good little footballer, like you say, but I don't think he offers enough defensively or from an attacking perspective. And that's it. Yeah, end story basically, as far as Jason's concerned. Uh, Mark, um, goal number three. Uh, the very influential Alex Pritchard was responsible for setting up number two and number three with that delicate little chip, which was well headed in by um, Stewart. But Bentley, just before that, he'd done a he'd done a good save, hadn't he? And that goal, you know, there's not a lot he could do about that, despite his spectacular attempt to reach it. Yeah, I mean, he he, he just spread his spread his legs, didn't he? And uh, uh, when uh, Sims hit the ball first time, I mean, that should have should have been his hat trick, really. He should have put he should have put that one away. But he made an excellent reflex save, and probably one of the best best reflex goal uh, save goalkeepers in the championship, Bentley. And we've lost without him. But yeah, the third goal, um, they worked it worked it well. It was just worked to to Jack Clark uh, on the on the uh, left hand side, and he played the ball back for Pritchard, who had acres of space. To chip it, to chip it, 
to, in, into the middle, and Naismith just didn't get off the ground, and that was the worry. I mean, he, 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 was, just, in, he just used it. He, was in he the, just floated over the top. Hang on. He was, he was in the wrong position. He was in front of him. You don't mark you don't mark somebody from in front of them. You mark you get behind them so you can get into their back, push them, and challenge. But he, yeah, but he, he didn't. He, he he just towered. He just towered above uh, above uh, Naismith and edited it in edited it in with ease with with power. And I think it's going back to what what Ian said. If you I mean if you're playing with wing backs, you need two strong centre forwards who are gonna you know get who are gonna get on the end of those crosses or. Um, get across the front post and take defenders with you. We just don't have that. I mean, Vyman's really a number ten. He's only playing uh, as a as a number nine alongside um, Martin because Semenyo's injured. So it really hinders us when he's not playing when he's not playing behind. So it's really uh, just to, just to accommodate Scott at the moment. So it's a it's a bit of it's a bit of a mess. But Pritchard just had so much freedom in the second half yesterday. And it was inevitable, and Sunderland deserved to win. Yeah, I mean that thing about Pritchard—he's probably about the same height as Jada Silva, so it's not a case of saying that if you're too short, you can't play at that level. Well, uh, different you know, position, isn't Lee it? Johnson was a little bloke. It's different position. Lee Johnson was a little bloke as well, wasn't he? Neil, what did you think of? Uh, and I'll ask you in the same question, but you first, Neil. Two players. Um, I think Ian or Mark just said we're playing to accommodate Scott. What did you think of Scott? And what did you think of Chris Martin yesterday? Well, I think we got lucky with uh, Chris Martin last year, actually. The amount of games we got out of him, he's 34 this year. Um, I think naturally, as the years go on, uh, our expectations of him running, doing 90 minutes, because basically we've got no one else, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. He's he's five foot nine. He's up against three massive centre-backs to the extent that when we brought Conway on, Conway just got battered within about the first minute and put on the ground. And you're like, okay, it's that sort of game. Uh, with Chris Martin, I just, we're trying to do the same thing that we did last year. And I put, a, I put a thing on OTIB last night, Dave, where I said, if you look at our stats as a football club last year, our points per game in the first half, we were top 10. At some stage, we were like sixth or seventh. Second half, our points per game, we were 23rd, 24th. And it's all down to the fact that teams reset against us at half time. It's quite transparent exactly how we are going to play. And yesterday, what the way we were playing in that first half, we were playing from the back, through the midfield, turning, running at them. So what did they, what did they have to do? They had to break the transition, break the passing channels, they put a four or five-man press on us, quite similar in the way to which Plymouth played against us with the two box, the box press on us, and they stopped the balls coming out from the back into the midfield, and then we just went to pieces for 25 minutes. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. And then you start hoofing the ball long or trying to hoof the ball into channels, and that's not Chris Martin at the end of the day. No, he wins all so, these headers. We've had this conversation, had this conversation before. before. But he wins the headers, but they're the flicked headers from throws. They're not headers in the danger that, area at all. Yeah, that's they? that's a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? But that's one of those stats proves everything. And uh, when you actually break down on Chris Martin's headers, it would be interesting if we ever had a stat that 
amount of headers won that led to something. Because as you say, yes, he might win offensive headers, but how many of them are actually um, headers that uh, lead to anything and how many of them are actually from throw-ins? I don't... I, I think I think if you're playing against Bristol City yesterday, you'd you'd know, and it it reminded me somewhat of the Huddersfield away game um, last season, where they give us the ball, and there's Pearson saying we're not a possession side, and yet we've got you know sixty odd percent of the possession. It's because you give us the ball, we don't know what to do with it. We're set up to be a counter attacking side. If someone gives us a ball, sits back and says, no, we're going to hit you on the break. We're like, oh, sorry. Yeah, we don't actually know what, what what we're going to do. And that's when we go to pieces. We haven't got the leaders on the team. Um, and then when it got to about 80 minutes and Sunderland sat back and they obviously thought, right, we're going to protect what we are now. We're not going to get too ambitious. We're going to look for the 3-2 and push it. You had Scott and Vyman coming into our own half to pick the ball up to try yes. and generate the urgency, the energy in it. And you're thinking, well, if you've got Vyman coming back into our own half to pick up the ball to actually do it. What's happening with could, the midfield? Yeah. What's yeah. happening with the midfield? And Scott coming so deep, you know, and to get the ball in. And you're thinking, well, you know, there's there's a desperate lack of impetus and energy in the side uh, yesterday in the second half, mm. and um, okay. that's because teams have done their they've they, done they, their they homework, do the re- they do the reset on us at half time. And the but if we're that last... predictable, Neil, if we're that predictable every game, why don't they set up in the first half against us like they start the second? You know, well, like I was... I think we have. Any and drive in the first half and and we you know I at half time in the dolmen we were all turning around and said god that game's really open couldn't see where it's going to but it sort of that game's really open I mean Viner going back to Viner and he had a 20 minute period in that first half where actually you know some of his diagonal passes were really good and he got the assist and all the rest of it but it was just a period at the end of that uh, first half about 10 minutes from 35 minutes on where from my position, Sims looked at Stewart and went, let's swap. And then Sims put himself on Viner and, and he made a couple of Cardinal classic Viner things. One was there was a ball over the top and he went sort of missing a little bit on the left-hand side and Viner made a recovery run. And fortunately Sims, who hasn't got much of a left foot, you get him on his left foot, which is why he cut, had to cut back for the second goal. And we got away with that. And then there was another one with a ball over the top. And I thought, you've got to head it on the full. Don't let it bounce. Don't let it bounce. And he let it bounce. And Sims just bullied him. And you could tell at that moment, Sims is looking at him going, I've got you. I've got you. I can dominate you. I can push you around. Mm. And at that moment, you're thinking, "Mm, well, how's the second half going to pan out? How's it going to go? No, that's true. Ian, your your thoughts on Martin Scott and and Zach Viner. I mean, he seems to have been... uh, well and truly bought off the naughty step. Two games, two assists, but sort of culpable maybe in two of the five that we've conceded. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's, I don't know if it's your mic, Dave, but your your feet, uh, I can hear you echoing and, and then, all right, that's better. Um, 
Zach Viner has been no worse than the other centre backs, but they haven't been very good either. Uh, would be my comment on that. Closer uh, is more of a size match to somebody like Sims, who must be six foot four, six foot five, because Zach Viner is six foot two, so he's not a midget. Um, Martin, we haven't got an alternative player. It's not Tommy Conway. I, I'm sorry to disagree with a club legend in Brian Tinian, but I think he's wrong. Um, not at championship level anyway. Kid needs a season out on loan, 46 games somewhere. Um, as as I look at that team, I think Calas and Semenyo coming back will make a massive difference um, and will help us avoid relegation. Um, but on top of that, we need four players. I, I, yesterday, we need two central midfield players, a holder and a creative one. I mean, who have we got? that can do what, what Pritchard did yesterday for them in the second half. No one. There's no one at the club can do it. Um, so we need two central midfield players, a right, a right-sided, powerful centre-back, uh, and we need a centre-forward. We need a nine that can come in for Chris Martin when he's out of form, unfit. We need to rest him. Um, and, I mean, look at Sims yesterday. That's what's available in the loan market if you know where to look. Um, and Scott made one good run in in the made one one good made one good run in the first half. Uh, didn't do it again for the rest of the game. So when he dropped back into central midfield, he he looked okay. I think that's his best position. It's not a ten. Um. And I think that's probably where he'll finish up. But I think Pearson's going to need to look at the formation and perhaps say, well, at the moment, because the midfield is so lacking in energy, um, we need to play a third central midfield player and we, and we need to change to a 3-5-2 uh, and, and get ourselves, or perhaps even a 4-5-1 and get ourselves more solid um, and harder to beat. Because at the moment... Um, we don't look difficult to score against. And, and that's always a problem. And giving up territory, if you look at that third goal they scored, I mean, Pritchard's almost on the edge of our box when he crosses that in, and all our defenders are, in, are back in front Bentley in the six-yard box. I mean, Stuart edited that in from about, what, four yards? No, you're right, Ian. That, that Pritchard, he was literally almost on the diagonal of the box with nobody anywhere near him. And yeah, and when uh, when Stuart went up for the ball, he was, yeah, very, very close in. And, you know, it was sort of like, it was almost like a practice game header because there was nobody up there when he put the final touch on the ball. Let me bring uh, Mark in uh, now because you sat there listening patiently to uh, Ian and Neil. Mark, um, I won't talk about the uh, the. the the, the individual players there, but uh, what about referee what about Keith Stroud? I've just noticed on uh, OTIB uh, that Graham C has said nobody's mentioned him at all, but uh, I thought he tried to let the game flow. It was a little bit physical at times. That worked to both sides' advantage, but what did you think of his performance today, Mark? I didn't, re I didn't really notice him, uh, to be quite honest, which is good you know, for, for a referee. You don't really want ref referees dominating the proceedings, either, either too lenient, like the one was last week, letting them get away with murder or um, incessantly waving their cards uh, around for for uh, for borderline fouls i mean the big the, the, the big talking point fouling was that pritchard crunched he smashed 
Masengo after about 30 seconds. Um, I think we've all forgotten about that. I don't Did know. I don't know what effect that had on, on Masengo's fitness throughout the game. The game. He, he seemed, seemed to be fine, but uh, he was rightly, uh, Pritchard was rightly booked for that. Was it a sending off? I don't know. Unless, you know, you see a, see a replay. The referees unlikely to send somebody off after that, uh, after 30 seconds. And I think there was another bad foul on Conway, wasn't there, after he came on. But yeah, didn't notice Keith Stroud, which is great. Let let, let the game let the game flow. And it was a good open, good open game. Just a couple of talking points that we've had. And I don't I don't mean to be pedantic, Neil. According to Wikipedia, Chris Mead Martin is, is six foot. But I have seen I have seen uh, other websites say he's five eleven, but he doesn't he doesn't win a lot of headers. Uh, you know it, you know when we pump these balls down the middle, he doesn't win a lot of headers. So regardless of his height, he's not he's not a target man, is he? He's certainly not that classic target man. Well, uh, I think I think what. We'll have to have a question for Chris Martin. Just how bloody tall are you? Quite yeah, frankly. exactly. You seem to have yeah, about three or four. Chris. Tall are you, Chris? You seem to have about three or four. Um, yeah, I'd, I don't want to hog hog the uh, thing. Probably back to you, David, to actually direct it. I think. Okay, let me direct it. Let me direct it a bit. I mean, uh, look. I mean, for what it's worth, um, I thought Keith Stroud did try and make the game flow. He's had his critics on here, but he was fine. Um, I think Shuffles made a point here, and I think this is very, very relevant. This is on the uh, the text feed here. The only short-term fix is to sell Alex Scott to generate funds to get the two or three players we clearly need. He says, personally, I thought Scott was our best player again. We are so weak when we have injuries. He has to be sold for the greater good. I totally agree with that. That first half, Scott, as Ian alluded to, the one time he dribbled into the box and he set up Martin for a chance that Martin should have scored with, really. I think if Scott had been selfish, knocked that one in, that would have put another £5 million on his price tag. I think uh, <laughs> I think somebody said on Twitter that I'm obsessed with the value of Martin, with, uh, not Martin, uh, Alex Scott. Uh David, can I make another, be... David, sorry, can I make another point about Alex Scott just before you move on? Fantastic ball for Jay De Silva as well in that first half, the vision that yes. he had. And, and then, then uh, Jay screwed it wide, didn't he, with his left foot? Yeah, yeah and it, it was yeah. a classic. And again, I made the point on Tib. three and a half years of watching Jay De Silva skew that ball past the same bloody post day in, day out. When it, he did it up at Hull as well, you know, uh, in that position, he's either got to bring it on his or he's got to hit it with the outside of his left. Otherwise, he's always going to pull the ball of that post. He's never going to be able to hit the ball into that post, hitting it with the inside of his left foot. No, and no, it, it just away. drives me mad how many times I've seen him be put through on that left-hand side. I mean, his two goals for the club are basically overhit cross against Stoke last year. And I think a tap-in against Huddersfield the year before or something. Yeah, and yeah, spot on, and, spot on, nearly right. And you, you put him through, and it was a fantastic ball by Scott in, in that first half. Fantastic vision yeah. in that yeah. pocket. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, how many times are you going to watch your left back be put, or your left wing back be put through in that position and yet not even hit the target? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if he was coming in on the right side and he hit it, that's where it would go in because we were playing Jay on the right side. Oh. So in a similar position, using that screwed left foot shot, he might find the target then. Ian, um, 
Shuffle said, sell stocks, generate funds. I'm in that camp 100%. Yeah, the market price has been set. It's not 20 million. In your dreams, some of the people that think that. I think it's between 13 and 15. And I think if he had a stunning game yesterday and a couple of other decent appearances before the transfer window, he'd go. Do you think that's the answer, Ian, to solve the short-term team fixes and FFP issues? It addresses both if you sell him for that sort of money. Yeah, um, unfortunately, the, the, the fly in the ointment for everybody is that um, no one wants to buy him for anything like that money. So that plan sort of, sort of falls to pieces, Dave, doesn't it? It's the same as people say, well, you should just sell Masendo. Brilliant. I, I, why haven't we thought of that? They're trying to sell him. No one wants him. So... Uh, and they might want him for a silly amount of money based on potential. Like when I say silly, I mean something like half a mil, mil perhaps. So, um, unfortunately, the best best laid plans of mice and men. Is your mic on, Dave? Speak or something? No, my, my mic is off. My mic is off, Ian. So, well, it's uh, feeding, feeding straight back at me a lot of the time. I don't know what it is, and every and it's happening with you as well. Uh, anyway. Anyway, carry well, on. I, I, I don't think I don't think we got an open L of uh, selling them for anything like twenty million. Please God, we could, but I'd be very, very worried about looking at what Pearson's brought in. I'd be very, very worried about about giving him that money and saying, right, go out and get the players to strengthen the squad because I don't think our scouting network, recruitment network, um, contacts. Are, are strong enough, and, and I and I think we got the right contact with Premier League clubs to to bring the players in. So uh, I, no, I'm feeling uh, I I don't. Would it be a solution? Technically, yeah, great. But someone's got to want to buy him first, and people in, people aren't spending that amount of money on Championship players. Yeah. Okay. Um... I think the, the the other thing to remember, I think the City fans' eyes have lit up recent recently because Carney Chukwumeka, uh, the uh, who played alongside Alex Scott at the, in the Euros winning team, had just gone from Villa to uh, to Chelsea for uh, for twenty for twenty million pounds. So mm-hmm. he made uh, Chukwumeka made twelve appearances for for for, for, uh, for Villa, didn't sign a new contract, so they left him out of the t- uh, tour to Australia, and he signed for signed for Chelsea. For, I think it's fifteen million upwards, up to twenty million. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's played at a higher level. I haven't played as many games as Scott competitively, but you probably say he was in a better position. So I think that's what that's what's fueling that at the moment. But yeah, people have got to want to want to buy buy Scott. Are are people ready to part with that sort of money? Uh, and it's certainly not going to be twenty million. Mm, interesting. All right, look, I think we've done the game to death, uh, chaps. Um, yeah, Shuffles just said Lewis Potter went for eighteen million from a Championship club just because he hadn't heard of sixteen. Him being... 16, sixteen, I think he went. He went from right, yeah, he went from Hull, Hull to look, Brentford, look, didn't he? Lewis Potter achieved last season. What, what, do you get 18 goals or something like that? Come off it. 
Okay, let's move on. Um, apologies for the typical sound problems. I don't know what's going on here. Somebody Taunton said someone's got two audio mics on, massive echo. So there's no problem with Neil's sound or Mark. So it's obviously something myself or uh, Ian. So again, apologies, but it wouldn't be an FBC podcast without sound problems. Steve Lansdowne, I'm going to upload on a Twitter thing the bit where he talks about selling the club, but the interview that he did with uh, Jeff Twentyman pre-match, a couple of things I picked up on there, and then we're going to talk about the the sale. He talked about going into the dressing room and uh, giving the players a pep talk for yesterday's game. I'm sure Nigel Pearce can welcome that with open arms. Uh, Three-year plan, Steve Lansdowne says, well, it'll take as long as it will take. That was after uh, Pearson said, well, it's going to take longer than I thought it would. Uh, Steve Lansdowne said, I'm 70 this month. I am still committed to uh, Bristol City. I want to see them in the Premier League. Yeah, don't we all? Uh, He talked about the salary cap coming in, creating more of a level playing field. Uh, You've got clubs that have got the parachute payments. He's also got clubs with the big crowds. What he means is a club like Sunderland, they can always spend more than most clubs because they're going to get 35 to 40,000 there every week. But his view was um, he Um, felt that the playing cap, sorry, the playing salary wage cap should be 20 million. And he said, quote, we're less than that now. So our wage bill has dropped considerably. What was interesting, and again, I'm not going to play the sound down the microphone because the quality is bad enough as it is. But he said, this club needs fresh blood, new ideas. He would sell. Uh, whether it would be the whole thing, he wouldn't be drawn on that, nor would he put a value on what it was. And as I see it, he fell straight into the camp. Well, my interpretation of what he said is what we've said on uh, on here on more than one occasion, that I see him hiving off the football club bit within Bristol Sport, still using Ashton Gate and everything like that. And, you know, it's somebody coming in because nobody's going to put, again, to quote Steve, multi-million pounds in without having control. That's a fact. So I don't think Steve's going to give up Bristol Sport, but I think if the price is right, for Bristol City, he will take it. Neil, you first on on that. That's a brief, brief, brief resume of what he said in, in that interview. But the, the main thing is, uh, you know, his ideas on sale. You know, he, he said it categorically. You'll hear it when I've uploaded the clip. Yeah, well, I did it for a long time, hasn't he? But I think, um, I think again, we, we had a topic running on OTIB again of, couple of months ago on this sports village application isn't it i mean that's a massive thing that obviously the lansdowne family per se the, have gone all in for isn't it the new uh, basketball arena the whole development of the sports village down at ashton gate i can't see how you could hive off the football club from that development and make it a single thing because i would imagine the, the football club itself is integral to that whole sports village planning application and all the rest of it that obviously is going to generate a significant amount of money because they're businessmen at the end of the day. Um, so timing-wise, timing-wise, yeah, he's always looked for investment, so it's not all on him. I mean, we don't want to go down the route of like uh, Bolton had with Eddie Davis, you know, when the, the owner got to the stage where all the money that he'd put into the club suddenly because he because of his illness he wa- he wasn't there anymore and we are dependent on one person and that that's not a great place to be uh, he obviously hoped that his son would 
come forward and take up the reins. And we've discussed we've discussed the sun before, so we don't need to go there again. But um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I, he must be frustrated, though, mustn't he? I mean, it, 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 we've we've got we've yesterday's game, and I know we're not going to discuss it anymore, Dave. I'm not going to go there, but he must have been looking, watching that game, thinking same old, same old, a little oh, bit really. And and then the image of like another twelve months talking about ambitions being the Premiership and all the rest of it, and we're so far away from that, aren't we? We're so far away from yeah. that on the playing side. I've, I've just got. I've just come up with an analogy that um, might sound a bit funny, but it, it might it might tickle you. I think I think Steve, Steve Lansdowne is like Julie Andrews in the in the Sound of Music. Maria von Trapp. These are a few of my favourite things. The HPC Centre, Bristol Sport, the, the Bristol Flyers. All of these favourite things. And when I'm feeling bad, I think of these, and then I don't feel so sad. The results on the pitch. So. Uh, yeah, I think he's turning into Maria von Trapp at the moment, and uh, but nobody's going to re- remember how, how good your eye performance centre is. Uh, you know, your 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 infrastructure, which is all very well and good. The work the community trust does is fantastic. fantastic. When result on the results on the pitch are so poor. Sorry, Maria, but uh, you can so think you can about think all these favourite things as much as you like, and they're not going to change that where we, we can't defend. Ian, um, Neil just said you can't hive off the football club. I believe you can because Steve Lansdowne actually said he referred to the entity that's Pula Sport that own everything. They're the ultimate holding company. And somebody could have an agreement with the football club. I'm sure the football club is all wrapped up as part of Pula, but it's almost like having a franchise to play football at Ashton Gate and the club, sorry, Bristol Sport, can take money off the club based on what division they're in, in the form of rental, share of revenue, that type of thing. That can be done. Would you agree with that, that you can break the football club out of Bristol Sport, but still be part of Bristol Sport? Well, in, in business, anything's possible, um, but it would take an all. I mean, he's talking tens of millions. Now, the football club is worthless. I, 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 the only thing I could see somebody going along and saying, "Tell you what, look, you keep the stadium, keep keep the training grounds. We'll rent, we'll rent them. I'll give you a pound for the club because it's not worth anymore. You're under it's a hundred million in debt, which, by the way, I want you to write that off. Um, and um, the the club's got it loses, it's lost money every year." Apart from the one where we sold our best players, and then then we only made ten million. It lost thirty eight point four million, was it last time out? It's probably going to lose money again this year. I'm guessing. Although Steve Lansdowne says he wasn't that bothered about FFP, that's something that he said to Twentyman. But I can't see how the club's got any value in it. The infrastructure has, yeah. The land has, yeah. But the football club. Wouldn't want that. Wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want it as a gift. I think, uh, sorry, Ian, I, I think, Dave, I didn't actually say you couldn't do that. Of course, like Ian has illustrated, of course you can hive off the football club. I just can't see how the, the principle of this massive sports village um, and the planning application going through for a huge development if you were to hive off the football club and make that not part of the 
it all a separate ownership at this crucial time where you know the whole basis of that sports village is that you know bristol sport are pushing through this if you're saying we're pushing through this planning application for the sports village but we don't own the stadium or we're not in charge of the football club you're creating a bit of a mess ownership wise aren't you really of the of the whole planning proposal it'd be like port it'd be like portsmouth who own own the ground but the I don't know if it's still the same, but the land around it was owned by, you know, Rus- R- Russians. And that was their major problem. They couldn't expand the ground because the because the land surrounding it was was in somebody else's hands. So if right. you start unraveling what is, you know, a, a huge bit of infrastructure is his idea of like Barcelona and the West Country. It'll just be an utter mess. And I just don't see how that's attractive to an investor. You know, it, it, it could be a it, there's huge potential for a for you know maybe a saudi arabian investor an american investor to take the whole lot if they wanted to but just a football club which is really it's just it's just it's just debt football a football club is it's it's just debt the money you've got to spend uh you know what do you do pay pay ridiculously high wages and take the chance of getting in the premier league bust ffp knowing you're going to get fined when you come back but if you fail then you've got huge points deductions like you know like reading sheffield wednesday Derby, you know, just throw throw money at a wall. It's, your hands are tied. So what do you do? It's just it's just it's a non-starter. I can't see it working. Who's going to want to want to buy the club when Lansdowne's got his roots in Bristol Sport in the surrounding area? It's just a non-starter. I can't see it happening. Okay, okay. all right. Well, look, let's let's flip back to football. I mean, we've got <clears throat> maybe a, a break from the league action. Coventry, uh, they've dropped a bit bit of a one with their. Well, they haven't. They haven't. It's not Coventry City's fault. Sorry to interrupt. It's it's uh, it's Wasps and oh. the stadium owners. They've what they've done is they apparently they've there have been concerts on the pitch. They they uh, that Birmingham, Birmingham uh, Commonwealth Games people play all of their seven. uh, sevens games. It's just inevitable. It's a complete cluster. So what's going to happen then? What's going to happen then if we can't play the match? Well. If the pitch is unfit on Wednesday, through through non-act of God reasons, <laughs> well, unless they can relay it between now and Wednesday, or make or make uh, make, make 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 the necessary repairs, then the game won't go ahead. It'll be unfit again. Simple as that. Can you hear me? Yeah. No, sorry, I was going to say, do we do we get a buy if they can't fulfil the fixture? That'll be up to the league, wouldn't it? The, the, that'd be up to the foot, the foot, the, the football league. I don't know, but the game was the game was off uh, was off today. It was it was deemed uh, uns, unsafe to play on. There's great big bare patches, but I mean it was inevitable when you're playing rugby. Unless you've got something like a deso pitch, like we have in MK Dons, where the pitch stays true because it's got on like a a plastic underlay, so you know the traction doesn't doesn't tear up the grass. Like you'd see, you know, like the Memorial Stadium d- did when Bristol when Bristol played there. It's inevitable, but they I didn't realise uh, until I looked this morning they they'd held concerts there as well. So the the effect of of of, uh, of 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 a big stage and fans being on being on on the ground that that's affected it. it. This was just inevitable. I feel sorry for Coventry City because their tenants apparently the uh, the the pitch was due to be relayed, but this has been delayed.
paid uh, by the stadium owners. So this this is a complete and utter mess that was out of their their control. But they're the ones who could get fined by the Football League. I don't know whether we get a buy into the next round because it'd have to be reaccommodated. But the pitch is going to have to be repaired. How quickly can a pitch be relayed or repaired to the satisfaction of, of the league? I don't know. It's a, it's a, that's the question. At least it takes at least it takes the spotlight away from Bristol City, and we can talk about something else, which is quite a good thing at the moment. Yeah, you agree. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, and anyway, and nobody and nobody said anything about my analogy about Maria von Trapp. So no, I think we, the last saw, thing, we 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 let, we let that go. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that's that's almost as bad as what I'm going to say about the Seekers uh, at the end of the broadcast. Ian, uh, do you think we should get a buy from the next round? And I was disturbed to hear Nigel Nigel. Nigel Pearson say that uh, he's uh, not planning any major changes this uh, week when you think he might give a few fringe players a run out. Your thoughts on the, the game and Nigel's comments? Well, on, on the fringe players, um, I've said exactly that, that he should give them a run out in that game. And I think he's very foolish if he doesn't. But obviously, if they're fit, so... Um, the, the pitch that I suppose they've got to another alternative they could switch the switch the game to Ashton Gate there's no there wouldn't be a problem wouldn't be a problem with that um or I'm so I'm saying there won't be a problem somebody from Ashton Gate might say well actually there is a problem because of X Y Z but um I, I I think what we should do with the um uh, with the Coventry game is start with Wells in Conway up front play Pring, King, Viner, Masengo in Wilson across the middle. And I'd use Viner as old in defensive midfielder and give him a try there because he's certainly not a centre-back. Having said that, yesterday he was no worse than the other two. And then I'd, I'd play Idahoan, Close, Tanner and O'Leary. So I'd give, them, I'd give them all a go. Not worried about this game at all. It's our survival in the league um, is all I'm thinking about. When, I mean, when I said pre-season I'd like to see us emulate Forest. I didn't mean lose the first seven games <laughs> I gotta agree yeah I gotta agree with you there I gotta agree with you 100% Neil um, we, look it's feasible by by this time next week uh, well after we've played the Wigan game you know we could be sat on because it's not going to be easy up at whatever it's called these days their stadium I can't remember but we could be out of the cup and lost three in a row and we said I said at the start of this episode you know we're not here we're not here to uh, call for Pearson's head like some people are doing already Mark Carter he was uh, very quiet yesterday I thought he'd disappear but he's on the on Twitter like he normally is saying Pearson's a loser and what have you but if we do go into the Luton game on the back of cup exit and three league defeats uh, pressure's got to be mounting hasn't it well, look at look at look at Luton. They got a good result yesterday, didn't they? It hit Burnley of all places. I was surprised yeah. about that. They're not going to be a pushover. No, no, all right. I'm saying we haven't even got to that game because then we got the resurgent Cardiff City, for whom Callum O'Dowd has done more in two matches for them than he did in about three years for us. But Neil, at what point does the pressure grow on the manager who has got the support of still the majority of fans? I saw the odd one or two on OTIB saying. You know, uh, well, one more defeat and that's it for me, you know, and he's going to have his supporters on here. But, you know, football's all about results business, isn't it? Yeah. When does the pressure start? Well, um, it's a difficult one with Pearson, isn't it? Because, uh, 
you can see the positives and I can see what he is trying to achieve, but for whatever reason at the moment, it's still not happening. And there is some frightening statistics, isn't it? The win ratio, what is it, about 27% or yeah, something yeah. off the top of my head or something. So that there are some frightening statistics out there. And um, yeah, but I think uh, with the transfer window at the end of this month, if you are going to make a change, um, I think you must be looking next three, four games. So... So I think you know at the end at the end of this month. Otherwise, you're waiting until till January, and it's just you know very very difficult really to do it. I I think where we've been the last few seasons is that we've we've had a strong start, haven't we? And yep. in yep. some ways, the strong start has carried us through, particularly the second half of seasons where we we haven't been so strong. Well, this season we've had the first two games, but. You know, we're top of the charts again on points lost from winning positions. So that's something. Six, you know, six points yet again. Um, I think uh, for me, next three, four games, if, we, if we're going to make a change, we have to do it before the window. You have to give someone an opportunity to come in, assess very quickly over a few days. But he doesn't do himself any favours, does he, with this loans scenario? I we think were, we were the only... We were the only team, I think, in in English football last year not to get a loan in or something like that, weren't we? Even yeah, even yeah. when we were playing 10 different players at right wing back or right back, he was still sticking to the thing of... Um, well, no, I don't, Sam I've, Bell at right, I've, right wing back, wasn't he? He played Vyman there. He played Vyman, your top scorer at right wing back, to do it. So I, I think even if you... Um, yeah, they cost. Yes, there's a loan fee. Elliot Sims, fantastic yesterday. They might have had to have paid a five hundred thousand pound loan fee to take him. I get that. There's there's lots of things involved in loans, but to be so dismissive of that, if we're talking about the fact that as a club we are where we are financially, and as a club, um, obviously all of these players. Again, looking at the team yesterday, Dave, how many of those players are out of contract at the end of the season? You know, masses of them on the field. Where's the progression planning there? You know, if we if we got through this season, you've got Bentley, De Silva, Callas, if he was around, Tim Close, technically, although we've got an option year. Bentley? Masengo, Martin. Bentley? You Bentley. Know, Bentley, yeah. You know, we, we spoke just at the start of the summer. We did a podcast, myself and Chris Honor, I think, when we spoke about the importance of if we are we going to re-sign these players or are we going to actually, you know... Um, are we going to let them go in the transfer window? If we can't negotiate with them, are we going to let them know, let them go? And people go on about Masengo, but Masengo basically knows, and his agent knows, that he's not going to get anywhere near as good a contract as the one he's on at the moment. So why not let your contract run down on a decent money? I mean, thankfully, we got rid of Palmer. Fantastic. Uh, potential business getting him off. The, yeah, Callum, you know... Cardiff lost to Reading yesterday. So, yeah, so you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they might have started off with a good win against Norwich, who are struggling, but they lost, they lost to Reading yesterday. And this is a tight division, this is a tough division. I don't see anybody getting minus 12 or minus six points deductions this year, other than potentially us, but that's right. another story. Let me ask, let me ask, let me ask Ian the question. Um, it's highly feasible based on the 
how we've performed this season that by the time we get to Luton at home on Tuesday week, we could be out of the cup and three nil points on the board after three because it won't be easy at Wigan. Um, the, the, we're, we're, we're accused on here of knee-jerk comments, knee-jerk reaction. Uh, Mark Small said on here, the quality of squad is the issue. Pearson has not had the money. It's not Pearson's fault, is it? This is Mark Small saying this. Mark Small saying it. We've allowed players to run contracts down. None of it's Pearson's fault, you know, and, well, <laughs> you know, it, well, it is what it is. But your thoughts, Ian, how do you be feeling this time next week if we're in that scenario of three league defeats and cup exit? The latter not really bothering anybody, really. But what do you think? Well, it is, it is Pearson's fault because he's the manager of the club and it's his job and he's brought in... Uh, what he signed eight players last year, uh, and he signed uh, another four this year. That's twelve. That's a team. Now, unfortunately, he signed King, Simpson, and James, who are looking worse signings by the by the day. Um, so that's not he's not covered himself in glory there. Um, King was on King was on the bench yesterday. We were crying out for a midfield player, absolutely crying out for a midfield player. Stayed on the bench. Um, so uh, his record at the club, he's won 17 games out of 62. Now, any player, any manager with a 27% win rate would be out of a job. And some managers, Dean Holden, for example, at Bristol City, was out of a job with a much better win rate. So... If if it's if it's not his fault and there's nothing he can do, why have a manager? Just just get uh, two or three of the players to pick the team, like when we were in financial trouble. Well, um, as you make a good point there, Ian, yeah, because could Scott Murray? Not, as, this, this, is, this, is, this is sorry. This is let me just say this: Scott Murray and Brian Tinian could probably mm -hmm. not be running the side any worse than it's being run at the moment. <laughs> Let's be fair. Yeah, I, I, I just go by results, Dave. It's all right. People saying, "Well, Pierce." So, what is he responsible for then? And when is it his fault? If we get relegated, as we could this season, it would that be his fault, or is that Mark Ashton's fault? Yeah. Who, what, what, what is he? It seems to me that he's in charge of everything and responsible for nothing. And there's another fella in the background, uh, Steve Lansdowne, who's who has owned the club. And made all the senior appointments and has allowed this situation to happen mm. on his watch. 26, 26 seasons we've had. Yeah, but how many, seasons, yeah. yeah, but, but it's, the, the point is, Dave, it seems to me that this, this cult of Nige, and as I say, one of the things that he's, he's the one thing you could say he's absolutely succeeded in is lowering the expectation level of the fan base. Um, and I, he succeeded in doing that, but I, I just don't see. I don't see the results. I don't see what Lansdowne called the progress. I don't what progress. I can see the infrastructure. The stadium looks nice. We've got two nice training grounds, but where is the progress? We finished eighteenth last season. Well, seventeenth. We'd have finished eighteenth if Derby had had a point deduction. Now, if we if we do get a points deduction, which once again I'll add, Steve Lansdowne said I'm not too bothered about that at the moment. So, in in the sense that we, we won't get one, 
Good. <clears throat> but if we go down, we lose about, we will lose, in terms of TV money, we'll lose about eight, nine million quid. Yeah. And we've lost money virtually every year apart from one when we sold all our best well, players. Mark, so, Smalls, oh. Mark Smalls said here, Lansdowne yeah, fault, yeah. simple, 50 million squandered. Sorry, Mark, it's not 50 million squandered. Take the infrastructure costs away. It's at least double that because bad decisions have contributed, bad decisions on certain, everything to do with infrastructure, other than infrastructure, bad decisions have been taken. Let's say Lansdowne spent 150 million, 100 million on infrastructure. He's spunked away that's the only word to describe it over that probably 130 million on funding losses and poor player acquisition bar the one year whereas ian said you know we we sold our best uh our best players guys um you know we're not we're not here to do any pierce and bashing we're all committed bristol city fans who want to see the club uh, do well. Uh, I'm just going to finish very quickly uh, yeah, with, with you, Mark. Mark. You've been sat there in the background I'm listening. Um, um, are you worried? It's going back to what we said at the beginning. Are you worried about the fitness? I mean, Matty James has gone off with a calf strain. Is that going to be a three-month calf strain, do you think, based on uh, how things go when players get injured? Well, it's a, it's a worry. I mean, since I mean, you know, under the the, the old the old regime, the, we, we just we just had a lot of soft tissue injuries, hamstring injuries in 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 the main, and it's just been repeated. But we got a guy who's in his thirties, and you know he he gets injured a lot. Andy King's injured a lot. Danny Simpson was never fit. I think it's. It's, it's it's a major problem and unless we tighten up we're going to keep repeating those mistakes in, in the coming weeks something's got to change neil talked about succession planning are there players ready to come in from the academy you know in, into midfield apart from josh hours i don't know anyone but fitness is a is a major problem in both these games we have faded and the other thing is that Pearson didn't make any changes last week to the midfield. He didn't bring Mixengo on yesterday. It was so noticeable that he didn't bring on Andy King and, and just play perhaps a flat a flat midfield five. Yeah. And just make it harder to play through. Because at the moment we're so easy to play through. We got players who, who just don't look good enough. That's a, That's a worry. So they need to replace him, but we can't replace them. Or they just improve. Can they improve? Can they improve their fitness? Can they improve their ability? I mean, you don't think they, if they haven't got the skill now, they're not going to suddenly just well, just do it. Okay, okay. I just want to read off some of the comments. Some of the comments on here. Shuffle said, "Blimey, I'm actually agreeing with Ian. Is not seeing progress and defensive issues are bordering on negligent." Red Robin, I think at least a former defender with his experience, I imagine MP would have organised the defence. I totally agree with that. Uh, so Tate that's what said, we thought, on. wasn't it? When, yeah, when Pearson we came in, we he was he was the the manager. I think that most most supporters wanted. But I, you know, a, a strong manager, an authoritarian who was going to get the best out of his team, and that they were going to be primarily hard to beat. Str- hard to beat. But yeah. we haven't. That's we've been the total opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Tate and Rhett Taze said, um, "What else he said? Come on, in fellas, realistic suggestions for replacement. We're not in that game at all, Taze. No." Not looking at that for at we least want to see solutions at the end of the month. Well, solutions. What Ian's Ones that we got? Comment here, Taze, Red Robins. I like this when you get dialogue between the people that are listening. Taze, I think you make a good point. After LJ and Holder, we all wanted a big man. We got one, and that's not working out. Hence, I think that's why Steve Lansdowne wants out. I think that's the point. Okay, everybody. Why were we playing 
Georgie Girl as the intro, if you're listening to this on record. I uh, saw on the, the news yesterday that uh, the lead singer of The Seekers passed away, Judith, Judith Durham, Durham. age of 79. I thought The Seekers did Puff the Magic Dragon, which was all about the dreaded weed, but that was actually Nina and Federer. But they did other songs like Morning Town Ride, really 1960s stuff. And I looked up on Google because I thought, I'm not a Seekers fan, but I'm sure I saw them in pantomime at the Hippodrome. And oh, sure no, you enough, didn't, Dave. I did. <laughs> I Sorry, did. I the, Seekers. <laughs> the Seekers were in pantomime at the Hippodrome, a 10 week stint. Can you believe that? Back in 1966. So I was 10, and they had their own little set at the end of the pantomime, and the pantomime was Humpty Dumpty. I didn't know that until I read it. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. I can't, I can't even remember the bloody. Where's that nursery right now? Anyway. Enough. All the king's horses and all the king's, all king's men, men couldn't put Humpty together again. It's a bit like Bristol City, isn't it? All of Lansdowne's money and all of his managers couldn't put the club back together again. There we go. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Apologies, apologies, apologies for the sound quality. It was the dreaded feedback. And, uh, yeah, on the recorded version, you'll get uh, uh, Georgie Girl, which uh, was from a film of the same name in the 60s as well, worth looking for if you haven't seen it. But in the meantime, Neil, Mark, Ian, thank you for your contribution and enjoy the rest of the weekend, chaps. All the best. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers, Dave. Cheers. Right. And to everyone. Cheers. Hey there, Georgie girl, swinging down the street so fancy free. Nobody you meet could ever see the loneliness there inside you. Hey there, Georgie girl, why do all the boys just passed you by? Could it be you just don't try? Or is it the clothes you wear? You're always window shopping but never stopping to buy. So shed those dowdy feathers and fly a little bit. Hey there, Georgie girl, there's another Georgie deep inside. Bring out all the love you hide And oh what a change there'd be The world would see A new Georgie